Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues, have conversations with foreign affairs thought leaders and newsmakers, and give you the context you need to understand the world today. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to learn more. And now on with the show. On October 4th, the general manager of the Houston Rockets basketball team, Daryl Morey, shared a message on Twitter. It was an image with the words, fight for freedom, stand with Hong Kong. The post was almost immediately deleted, but not before it caught the attention of Chinese authorities who began threatening huge sanctions on the Houston Rockets and the NBA. The NBA quickly went into damage control mode, with various officials profusely apologizing for this one tweet. And even the world's biggest NBA star, LeBron James, suggested that Maury was uninformed and uneducated about the situation in Hong Kong. What has unfolded between China and the NBA is, to my mind, one of the biggest stories of the last several years because it is such a blatant demonstration of the power that both the Chinese Communist Party and middle-class consumers in China have over large Western companies, and that they're willing to use that power to punish and deter free speech outside of China. On the line with me to discuss this incident with the NBA and what it says about China's global reach, the future of the freedom of expression, and the future of capitalism more broadly is Derek Thompson. He is a staff writer at The Atlantic and host of the Crazy Genius podcast. He wrote an excellent article about this situation that I'll link to on globaldispatchespodcast.com. And I think you'll find this conversation goes in a pretty interesting direction. As always, I love hearing from you. If you are a listener in China, I'll especially uh, love to hear back from you uh, and hear your perspective on what you heard in this episode. So please do use the contact button on globaldispatchespodcast.com to get in touch with me. I do want to hear from you. And a note before we begin, check out Northwestern University's online master's program in global health. You can learn how to make a meaningful difference in places where it is needed most. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com and click on the ad to learn more, or go to sps.northwestern.edu slash global. And now here is my conversation with Derek Thompson of The Atlantic. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. The NBA, like lots of American organizations and companies, has an extremely large and financially important relationship with China. Uh, And several weeks ago, Daryl Morey, who is the general manager of the Houston Rockets basketball team, uh, publicized on Twitter 
his support for the Hong Kong protesters. Uh, these protesters are demanding a variety of civil rights protections from mainland China and also from the Hong Kong police. So he tweets this message in defense of the Hong Kong protesters, and the tweet disappears almost immediately. Um, the damage, however, uh, was clearly done. Uh, the Chinese government or Chinese companies uh, who routinely survey the world to make sure that organizations and companies with whom they're in business are not saying overly nice things about Hong Kong protesters or the independence of Taiwan and Tibet and Tiananmen Square. Um, Chinese companies sort of wreaked, you know, had had vengeance upon the NBA. They suspended licensing agreements. They blacklisted the Rockets, which is a, an extremely uh, bold move, considering that the Rockets are the most popular U.S. basketball team in China and have been since they drafted Yao Ming. Uh, they essentially barred them from appearing on state television. And it created this crisis for the NBA because it has billions of dollars worth of business uh, invested in China over the next decade. And, and that business now appears to be in jeopardy. So I think what really got people in the U.S. really indignant about the situation is, is that the NBA has built a reputation of being really proudly progressive on a range of civil rights issues here in America and when it comes to civil rights issues in China, with the insistence that Daryl Morey, you know, delete his tweet, um, and then uh, with lots of people representing the NBA refusing to criticize the Chinese government, it seemed like they were sort of torching their reputation as being a woke organization. Um, you know, the league moved to condemn Morey's advocacy for democratic rights. Uh, the NBA discouraged players from commenting on Chinese policy. Uh, in, in a really egregious example, um, pro-Hong Kong signs were confiscated at, at exhibition games in Washington. D.C., which made it seem like appeasement to China had superseded free expression um, in Washington, D.C., yeah. the nation's capital. Um, so it was overall it was it was a it was a it was a, a, a the series of events was, was hugely yeah. embarrassing for the NBA's reputation. As it a was I mean, it, to me, it was like the speed and scale with which the NBA and certain NBA stars like LeBron James you know, supplicated themselves before the Chinese Communist Party was was just shocking to to watch. It was shocking to me, too. Uh, you know, and I say this not only as an NBA fan, but also specifically as a huge LeBron James fan, that I was deeply disappointed not only in the NBA's new organization, but also specifically in LeBron James, who has been so wonderfully uh, outspoken and articulate on the issue of civil rights in the U.S. Um, he said instead about Daryl Morey's tweet that it was, quote, misinformed. I mean, Look, it's, it, clearly Daryl Morey's tweet had negative financial consequences for the NBA, potentially. But if a white NBA player said that a, uh, a that, that some tweet or Instagram post of LeBron James commenting on civil rights issues or police brutality in the U.S. was misinformed because it potentially had negative financial consequences for the association, I would be extremely mad at, at, at that NBA player, too. So a really disappointing comment from a player who, who certainly has lots of, of business at stake in China. But this is why, as, as I, I hope we discuss in, in a second, this issue of American businesses and American consumers being intertwined with a Chinese manufacturing or a Chinese juggernaut that is authoritarian and is somewhat genocidal is, is, is an almost inextricable problem and is so difficult to solve and figure out exactly what to do. And so say. what was so interesting and kind of frightening about this episode? 
episode to me is that, you know, for years and years, we have seen companies, Western companies operate in China on a different set of principles or ideals than they would operate elsewhere. You see like tech companies, perhaps, um, you know, preventing users in China from searching for certain words around democracy or Tiananmen Square, you know, so far, though, all those restrictions have been in China. Um, what this represented to me was how, you know, you're exporting these kinds of restrictions out of China using the power of the Chinese middle class that's growing so fast and the political power of the Chinese Communist Party to sort of limit and impact free speech abroad. Yes, I think it's, it's essentially like China is holding a veto button over global speech related to China, and they're pressing it and vetoing it when organizations and companies that do business with them say the wrong thing. I mean, I think it's it's really offensive, but I also think it's important to point out that it's not as if it's just the NBA that's facing this problem. You know, it, look at, say, the American film industry, which regularly deletes scenes that offends Chinese officials, or they'll include new scenes and characters specifically to flatter the Chinese government. Can you give um, some so examples of that? Uh, sure. I, I, I believe the uh, the example that, that I read was about uh, The Martian um, and a new story that, that talked about how the, in the Matt Damon movie, The Martian, um, there were specific Chinese characters and scenes that were inserted because they wanted the movie to play well in China. In order for a movie to have access to the Chinese market, you know, the, the, the Chinese government has a certain say over, you know, whether or not the movie can play there in the first place and, and, and over how many screens. Um, so, you know, this was you know, this was a, a, a film studio bending over backwards to trying to appease a government that a lot of human rights um, advocates and frankly, a lot of people with with eyes who who understand the news uh, would say is is an authoritarian juggernaut. But again, it's it's not just you know the NBA and it's not just Hollywood. I mean, you know, companies like Marriott and Versace and Louis Vuitton and Mercedes Benz um, have. Uh, either made certain products like a T-shirt or, or put out Instagram posts that will, you know, have something to do with respecting the independence of Taiwan or or um, uh, offering credence to something that the Dalai Lama said. Mercedes Benz once just published an Instagram post with a super anodyne Dalai Lama quote. Um, and the Chinese government objects to all of this. And they essentially say, we're not going to do business with you if you if you sort of point out the independence of Taiwan, if you give sucker to the China, to the Tibetan um, uh, separatist movement. Um, and then these companies sort of, you know, fall on their knees and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. We respect the Chinese government. We respect Chinese history. I mean, it, it really is a, a rather uh, complex and widespread muzzling of free expression um, among all of these uh, organizations and companies. And, and as you point out in your piece, it's a problem for capitalism writ large. Yeah, I, I do think it is a problem for global capitalism, at least in as much as American style capitalism is intertwined with free expression. Um, that, you know, I, I look at, for example, this idea that the American consumer is in a moment where she or he is trying to express a kind of moral valence through corporate behavior that I don't know if that made a lot of sense, but basically what you see is like the rise of the woke consumer, right? Mm -hmm. um, when Equinox members discover that one of the gym's investors is a Trump supporter, it's a national scandal. And hundreds, if not thousands of people threaten to quit Equinox because one of its investors is a Trump supporter or in fact do 
quit Equinox because their investor is a Trump supporter. So there is this connection that a lot of consumers are making between companies and you know what those companies stand for. Well, look, look at TikTok, maybe the most exciting, most popular new social media app in the world. TikTok is built by a Beijing-based company, ByteDance, which, which works closely with the Chinese Communist Party, a party that tortures Muslims in Xinjiang. Mm-hmm. Like, does this mean that American teens have a moral obligation to delete the app until China shuts down its Xinjiang re-education camps? I, I, I don't know. But, you know, does it mean, for example, that smartphone users should boycott the iPhone until Apple sort of extricates itself from a supply chain that involves Chinese manufacturers? I, I, I don't know. But I do think that the reason it's so fraught, the reason this question is so fraught is that on the one hand, you have you sort of have two stories that are rising at the same time that can't live with each other. On the one hand, you have the rise of the woke consumer. And on the other hand, you have the reality that global markets have been stitched and China sits at the heart of this international stitching of global markets. And there is a widespread understanding that China is an authoritarian government that is waging a genocide against Muslims. How do you balance these two things, the wokeness and the reality? Mm-hmm. I don't know. And my piece was, was basically trying to wrestle with this idea by pointing out that that which, is, which we should be concerned about is so much bigger than LeBron James and the NBA. Well, and, and what your piece and what the NBA incident, the NBA China incident sort of kind of brought home to me is this you know, third trend that, that we've been seeing for, for a very long time, which is you know, the consolidation of media companies. And so it seems <laughs> you have the situation where you have like, say, say take the example, Example of like NBC Universal. So, what the NBA example sort of um, it suggests to me that, say, tomorrow, someone thoughtful like Chris Hayes says something, you know, in support of Hong Kong protesters, it is now not that far fetched for me to imagine the Chinese Communist Party directing Chinese consumers to, you know, stop watching like DreamWorks films, you know, you know, not or they won't air the next like Boss Baby sequel or Shrek sequel, um, costing NBC Universal, you know, billions of dollars in potential revenue. Um, and perhaps, you know, imposing upon NBC Universal a kind of um, you know, pre-censorship and how they cover China. That is a fascinating point. I I had not made that connection, but I think it's really, really powerful Um, because you're exactly right. What you have now on the media and information side of the economy is a lot of conglomerates that tie together news and entertainment. So not only does, you know, Comcast own Universal, right? So it, it, it owns, you know, Universal and NBC. And so you have, you know, Comcast, which is selling internet and you have Universal, which is making movies and you have NBC, which is doing uh, news. And what happens if, if the news division offends China? Does that mean that the entire Comcast conglomerate is punished by the Chinese government? Maybe. Another example would be Disney, right? Yeah. Disney owns, in addition to basically every single blockbuster release in 2019, it also owns ESPN and ABC. So what if ABC says something that's overly critical to the Chinese government and China decides that it wants to punish Disney, that it wants to punish ESPN, that it wants to punish ESPN's business partners? I think you're right that this gets really gnarly really quickly. And this is why I think it's it's so fraught and 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 confusing to figure out exactly what the what the morally correct answer is mm-hmm. to do here you know um 
on the well, I mean, that's you, not that you confusing. Want to the say, morally, look, yeah, I don't know. Like the morally correct answer to me seems to be just you know publish what's true and say what you know speak out oh, against oh, their mean, repression. Yeah, no. Oh sure, sure. Oh, I I, I don't mean. Uh, morally complex for trying to figure out what journalists should do. Of course, journalists should just tell yeah, the truth. Yeah. I mean, morally complex to figure out what we should do in terms of Chinese-American trade, hmm. right? Because if on the one hand, China is essentially saying, we're not going to trade with you unless all of these organizations and all these institutions essentially pay fealty to Beijing, then, you know, if, if you're, a, if you're you know, an, an advocate in the, in the U.S. trade office, you might say, look, we're not going to do business with this with this country. This country is 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 too immoral, too unethical, too too murderous for us to do business with. Um, it, it is it's it's unjust. We're going to stop trading with them. Well, okay, but the U.S. and China aren't just the two biggest trading partners in the world. They're the two biggest trading partners in the history of the planet. And international trade between the U.S. and China has helped to lift billions of people from poverty, and it's helped to sort of you know, make almost everything you can see and touch and smell more efficient to produce. If you completely sever the U.S.-China sort of trade alliance, you're going to cause potentially economic devastation, not only in China, but also throughout Southeast Asia. And so you have to say, OK, well, you know, is that the moral solution to this problem? Is it to sort of stop trade, even if the stopping of trade leads to a global recession that, it, you know, that throws, you know, millions of people into economic misery. That's where I think this, this, the, the, it's, it becomes so difficult to essentially, you know, uh, extricate ourselves from the situation that global markets are intertwined, but China is essentially trying to, to, you know, use its, its, its power to veto speech that it dislikes. And you call that in a way, um, a values tax, right? On, on that China may impose in the future on global businesses seeking to do business in China. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I you know, I, I compare it to a, a values tariff. So, you know, rather than a normal tariff where, you know, a company pays and, you know, X percent tax on imported goods in China, it's the idea that companies have to compromise X percent of their values just to do business in China. They are paying a values tax in order to do business in China. And, you know, today we're just focusing on the values tax being paid by the NBA. Um, but as I've said, I think that each firm that does business in China is essentially paying a values tax by allowing China to you know, have possession of this veto button over speech that isn't even happening in China. So I get like a company like Mercedes, which you know needs to sell, you know, probably sells, as you point out, you know, way more cars in China than it does anywhere else in the world to, you know, adjust an ad that might quote the Dalai Lama, you know, in an innocuous way, but still cause offense to the, the Chinese government. Um, that sort of like, I guess, makes somewhat intuitive sense to me. Like, okay, that's like a, a compromise, I suppose. Um, I could sort of understand like a company like Mercedes-Benz making. I guess what really grates me about this NBA and why this decision and why I think it's so consequential in like, you know, the history of the world, frankly, in, in modern times is because you, it's just like such a, a powerful brand. It's such a popular brand. You have individuals like LeBron James who themselves are individually popular, individually powerful, already extremely wealthy, and yet um, are, as I said earlier, just willing to bend their morals, bend their ways and, and, basically, as I said earlier, just basically supplicate themselves to, you know, the Chinese Communist Party and, and you know, middle-class consumers in China. And it's just like, it's, it's just seems so symbolically just uh, um, a signal of where we're going. 
Yeah, it is a signal of where we're going. I totally agree. And honestly, I would say as bad as the Mercedes-Benz thing was and as uh, you know, disappointed as I am with both LeBron James and the NBA in general, I actually don't think that that's the worst example. I think the worst example is Marriott. So in 2018, Marriott published this online poll that listed Tibet as its own separate country Ooh. rather than as a region in China. And a, an, a, a, a man, a 49-year-old man named Roy Jones, this guy making $14 an hour, just running social media accounts from Marriott over the weekend, he likes a post by this Tibetan separatist group that sees Marriott's online survey and says, oh, that's great. They acknowledge that we're our own region. So Jones didn't write the survey. He didn't know about China's relationship to Tibet. The guy's just doing his job. And his job is, you know, the job of any social media, you know, jockey to cheer on fans of your organization. But the Chinese government was so furious about the survey and the like that Marriott fired this 49-year-old dude running social media accounts for the company. I mean, they, they fired him. To be, to be fair to Mercedes and the NBA, I, I don't know yet of anybody fired for offending the sensibilities of a handful of Beijing bureaucrats. It, it, what's, what's truly remarkable to me is the idea that labor policy in Western countries and among Western companies can essentially be dictated by China. That I find truly terrifying. Uh, well, Derek, thank you so much for your time. And I should say, as of as of last week, uh, this podcast had not yet been censored in China. I was still getting downloads there. So hopefully that <laughs> won't great. change. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, yeah. And, and we're, we're still getting a, a clicks from China, I do believe. So um, hopefully uh, telling the truth does, does find an audience, even in a country where uh, they don't want to hear it. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Derek. That was uh, interesting and lively and helpful. And as I said at the outset of this conversation, if you are listening to this conversation in China, I'd love to hear from you. Let me know what you think about this incident. Am I blowing it out of proportion? I don't think so. But maybe it looks differently to you in China. All right. We'll see you later. Bye.